What's up, what's up, what's up, fam? Before we get into the episode, if you guys can please like this video if you're listening on YouTube, subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, give Best Kenny ever a follow. Anything helps. But thank you guys so much for being here. Let's get into the episode. Like, you'll still be reincarnated as a human. You're not going to be reincarnated as, like, an animal or a tree or anything like that. But, like, maybe you're going to be reincarnated as a disabled human. Maybe you're going to be reincarnated as a trans human. Maybe you're going to be reincarnated into a family that beats you and starves you and abuses you. So, like, kind of the Scientology viewpoint is anybody who's disabled... Um, or has, you know, anybody who has disabilities, anybody who is queer, anybody who um, had a really bad childhood, like it's because they were bad in their last lifetime. And so they got what they deserved this lifetime. You guys, festival season is back. Whether you're going to EDC Las Vegas, Sunset Music Festival, Singularity, Related Couture has you covered. They have not only a wide variety of rave clothes to choose from, but they have the most banging bodysuits, biker shorts, cutest tops, and also bell bottoms. So there is something for everyone. And I'm sure you guys know that I absolutely love, love, love Rose and Eric um, because they're freaking um, so sweet and creative, but also they just have some of the most innovative styles. And what's nice is that their freaking motto is sexy has no size. And that's because they carry almost every size, which is freaking great. So if you're um, a small petite person, if you're a big, beautiful person, or if you're in between, there's something for you and there's a size for you, which is one of the reasons why I absolutely love Lady Couture. So if you still need to get festival ready or get an outfit for your next event, go ahead and check out Lady Couture and use code BESTCANDYEVER to save. Again, use code BESTCANDYEVER to save at checkout. And don't forget, they do have some bomb accessories. Their latest line is called Puff Puff Pass. So um, MJ420 lovers, check it out because their collection is quite literally fire and will leave you feeling high. So once again, check out Related Couture and use code Best Candy Ever to save. Candy fam, what is up? Welcome to this very, very exciting episode of Best Candy Ever. Today, I have some very inspirational guests on the pod. We kind of found each other through Instagram, and I saw their amazing, amazing Instagram collection of candies, but also I stumbled onto these amazing tutorials that they have made. So without further ado, please welcome B, aka Mood Candy. Hello. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. What is up? How are you? How have you been? <laughs> I've been good. I've been inside. I'm like so excited, almost fully vaccinated. I can like see people and go to shows and stuff again soon. So that's like really exciting for me. Yeah, I can't believe it's actually here. It's so nuts. I know, dude. I know. I'm like, I have shows planned starting at like the end of May forward. Oh, awesome. You're going to have to tell me about that later. I will for sure. 
So, uh, B, kind of give us a rundown on um, who you are, who um, Mood Candy is, and just give us a little background. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually um, kind of got into raving and EDM and candy and everything a couple of years ago because one of my close friends like had a spare ticket to excision in January, 2019 and was like, oh, hey, yeah, for sure. Um, She's like, oh, hey, you know, you've never been to a rave. Do you want to come? Like my boyfriend canceled, didn't want to go. And I was like, okay, sure. So I went and like, you know, like jeggings and like a band t-shirt and whatever had an amazing time. She taught me about trading candy. Like she makes tons and tons and tons of singles. Um, and she used to have like little candy parties where like she would have everybody get together and just make singles for hours. And it was like a really good way for her to like introduce various parts of her rave family to each other. Um, and so she taught me like the flare handshake, she taught me how to trade candy. And then I just like disappeared and I was off in the crowd trading candy the entire show. And I was like, this is this, this is the coolest thing that has ever happened. This is the best feeling is like trading candy with a stranger. I just want to do this all the time. And I was like instantly hooked. <laughs> so uh, uh, what year did you say that was? That was January, 2019. Oh, wow. So it's you just recently got into the rave scene, but from looking at your page, it seems like you've, I thought you were doing this for a lot longer. Yeah. I basically just jumped right in. Like I went to that first show and I was immediately like, this is it. Like I found my home. I found my family. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to be a part of. Um, and then I just immediately started like getting really involved with like my local rave scene here in Minneapolis. Um, so the local producers, and then also just trying to go to shows pretty regularly, um, and like connecting with other people online. And honestly, basically all I've done throughout quarantine is just like make candy, learn to make bigger candy, learn to make better candy, make connections with people on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, and just like, you know, taking advantage of what ways I could be connected to other people throughout this past year. And yeah, I'm really thankful for it. Candy, like really, really saved my sanity this past year. So I saw, I saw that you have an Etsy and that you create uh, candies to, to sell. Was it always like that? Or was this something that you realized that people liked and that people liked your designs and you're like, Hey, I can, I can um, like sell these to people that want to buy them or was it more like, w- was it something that you were planning, I guess is what I want to ask you. Cause oh, I, yeah. I thought that was. No, it was pretty. totally unplanned. Um, I'm not like a business person. I never intended to monetize, um, but I started making candy and posting it and just posting it on Instagram, started posting it on TikTok, And I kept getting comments from people or messages from people saying like, Hey, can I commission a piece? Hey, like you posted this thing. Can I buy it from you? Um, and I have a lot of friends who are disabled or have disabilities and like loss of fine motor function in their hands specifically and like arthritis and different things like that. Um, and so I was like, okay, I like, yes, I will sell the candy to you. I'll, I'll start selling candy a, because it's, super fucking expensive as a hobby to maintain. Um, but B, because 
like realistically, not everybody can go to a show to trade. Not everybody can, you know, go to a festival or, you know, not everybody has friends who make candy. And so, you know, then to have something that is relatively affordable and like priced in a way that like I try to make it accessible to everybody. Um, that's kind of why I started selling candy. And then that's also why I started making tutorials is because if somebody can't afford to buy the candy and wants to learn how to make it themselves, I want to give them the opportunity and just really, really make candy as accessible as I can for everybody who wants to be part of the community. I love that. In terms of the tutorial, did you just wake up one day and you were like, you know what, people some people don't have money. Some people can't afford it. So I'm just going to teach them how to do it. Or did something happen where you were like, I'm going to start a YouTube. I'm going to create videos and go from there. Um, no, I just, I mean, I'm like very socialist leftist. I very much believe in like accessibility, um, you know, sharing resources, making things available for people who want them or need them. And so, you know, I had a TikTok, I had a video on TikTok, a candy video on TikTok blow up, like as the algorithm does, it will randomly blow up videos. It happened to blow up one of my candy videos. Um, and so I was like, yeah, like TikTok, there's just nobody on TikTok who's doing tutorials. It's just not a thing. So I'm going to start making some TikTok tutorials. Um, and I did that and they did really well. And I got a bunch of people saying like, this is really helpful. Please keep doing this. And then TikTok is only like 59 seconds long maximum, which is really hard to do a tutorial in 59 seconds. Like it's so difficult. Um, so then I started filming and posting on YouTube and I'm still like my YouTube channel is still very much a baby. I'm still like right now I'm posting once a month just so that I can put out like good quality. Um, but yeah, I put longer tutorials out on YouTube and then I still post pretty much daily over on TikTok, various like candy content too. Yeah. And uh, when they say baby YouTube, it's more like 2000 subscribers YouTube, which I don't think is a baby, but that's <laughs> freaking awesome. It's a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mature teenager. For uh, your candy inspirations, I've, I've looked at a lot of the ones that you have um, on your Instagram, where do you get the inspiration? Because these are not your traditional candies. Uh, for example, there was one that was like, I believe it was like a light up wand. And I was yeah. like, that is dope. Absolutely. So um, there are some candy kids. There's, I mean, there's a ton of candy kids on Instagram. And that was where I really got started um, in the candy community was like finding candy kids on Instagram. Yoda Plurway is somebody I take a lot of inspiration from. She was on the show Love earlier. Her. her stuff is very inspiring. Um, the wand was actually inspired by Ms. Amanda Z, who um, she's very like active on Instagram. She has a TikTok. She's amazing. She's been uh, a candy kid for, I want to say like 15 years now. And she's super, super skilled. Um, candy demigod. I like really took a lot of inspiration from his stuff. Z Cena's husband, um, Zolly's Candyland. those girls, like we kind of started our Instagrams at the same time and sort of went back and forth on like trying each other's different stitches and like seeing what we could come up with. So it's just, a lot of it is just having like a really good community, um, online to take inspiration from and, and see what they're doing. Yeah. When you created that piece, were you just playing around or did you kind of take what you learned from all of those candy kids and 
kind of created this masterpiece? <laughs> um, I was kind of just playing around the one you're talking about, like the mushroom wand, right? The one that lights up. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, oh, what's his name? Glitterbeard made a tutorial on how to make candy mushrooms ages ago. It's on YouTube. Um, and then I asked for his permission and then remade it recently. Um, but so I was making candy mushrooms and then I saw Ms. Amanda Z was making candy wands. And I was like, oh my God, how cute would it be to make like a light up mushroom fairy wand? That would be so dope. And then I made it and it looked like a 12 inch dick. So (laughs) (laughs) it's still great. It's still very funny. I like, trust me, I love it, but it's a little bit less magical than I had initially intended it to be. (laughs) Still cool. Still gets the point across. Absolutely. That is awesome. And I saw that you were, you made this, it was like a multi-stitch. It almost looked like a a sleeve. It was kind of like a giant long cuff. Mm -hmm. I thought that was super unique. And I don't know, a lot of the things I've seen on your page, I haven't seen other people really do. So I was just like wondering like where you get all this like inspiration or if you kind of just start and see (laughs) where it takes you. Cause I was like, I could never do that. Um, it really depends. Like sometimes I will just kind of start and see where it takes me. Sometimes I'll just pick a couple of colors and be like, okay, like here's our color combination go. A lot of the time what I'm doing um, currently is I have so many charms. I have, I, I have boxes and boxes of like toys and charms and like specialty beads and just like pretty things. And so, and I just, hoard them like a dragon and I never use them. So what I've been doing recently is I've been just like picking one and being like, okay, I'm going to make a cuff themed around like this bead or like, um, you know, right now I'm going to be working on some worm on a string cuff because I got a bunch of worm on a strings. What? I'm sorry. What is that? It's a worm on a string. It's, um, I don't know how well you can see it, but do you remember those toys that used to have it at the mall and like the dude would like make it go between his fingers and pretend it was alive and it's just a worm on a string no that's why I'm like well I don't even know what that is it looks like a piece of like a fish bait or something I don't know yeah it's just fluffy it's just like a fluffy thing and it has little googly eyes it's just a little dude um so I'm probably gonna make some more worm on a string candy later because I got like 150 worm on a strings for a different project and uh you know fucking why not I, I just whatever is around me I try to just, like take inspiration from Hell yes. I love that. And is it just you who's creating all of these candies, like your business? Um, Yeah, it's me. I'm a solo operation. Um, Pretty much anything that anybody orders, I make like hand make from scratch. I don't have like a back stock of candies or anything like that. So it's all just based on what orders come in. Oh, wow. Do you, do you normally open up your, your shop? Um, for like festival season or do you close off like during the holidays or are you just open all the time? I'm just open all the time. Um, we'll see now that festivals are coming back. We'll see how busy it gets. We'll see. Like I obviously don't want to um, overwhelm myself. I work a full-time job. I also do candy and I'm doing school full-time. So oh yeah, I do a lot. Um, so like, we'll see. We'll see. I'm really playing it by ear and I think like it is more important to me to keep the tutorials going on like a good schedule and like keep putting out that, um, that content 
than it is to have the shop open. So like if it comes to down to it, like I would, I would prioritize the YouTube channel over the shop. Um, but I'm taking next semester off from school to kind of see how it goes because like it's been getting more and more orders. It's been getting more and more crazy, like posting more and more on TikTok and YouTube. I started a Patreon recently for like a monthly candy like package thing. So if somebody wants to do a monthly candy subscription, that's like a thing that I have available now. That's such a good idea. Thank you. Um, I haven't really advertised it broadly because I'm like going to put something about it in my next YouTube video, but you know, it is something that like, Hey, people like subscription boxes. What about like a candy subscription box? So honestly, like my dream, my ideal dream, and I do not know how to make this happen, but my ideal dream is to be able to just sort of transition over into, um, doing this full time, being like a content creator, making candy, um, eventually one day, maybe open up like a brick and mortar, like real shop store where people can come and like learn in person and like teach classes and, you know, sell beads and and all that stuff. But I like, I don't know how to make that happen, but how dope would that be? That would be awesome. Have you ever thought about maybe, I don't know, having like a workshop at a festival or doing something of that nature? Yeah, I would love to do that. I definitely have been thinking about it. Um, I actually have never been to a festival because I only got into raving in January 2019 and then fucking COVID happened. So um, North Coast is going to be my first fest or Electric Forest if Electric Forest happens, like fingers crossed. Um, I will see you there. Absolutely. Like if Forest happens, I'll be going to Forest. Fucking fingers crossed. Otherwise, I have tickets for North Coast. Um, and EDC Orlando. So I do have three festivals this year. I'm going just as like a raver, just to fucking have a good time, meet people, spread plur, like all that stuff. And then I feel like once I have actually gotten my toes wet and really like been fully immersed, I'll have a little bit of a better idea of like, you know, how to best approach it as like, yeah, like let's do um, some classes at a festival or let's do like a booth or whatever. So just, just to get it straight. So you've, you've only been to shows. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yep. Oh my God. I am so excited for you because your head's going to explode because going to a festival is like seriously having four or five stages together with like all the crazy art. And I, I'm going to be like living through you because that first time is always so different and memorable and exciting. Um, I'm sure that you've probably like read up or heard from like friends, like people telling you what it's like, but uh, oh my God, I'm just, I can't believe that. So I'm just like so excited for you because I, yeah, I thought you were um, raving a lot longer. I didn't know you haven't been to a festival. So I'm so stoked. I hope you go with the electric forest first because that's just magical. Yeah. I'm so stoked. I mean, obviously if forest happens next year, I'll go for next year, whatever, whatever, but like, God, I want to go to forest so bad. I've been literally hearing about it since I started raving and I'm just like, please, please let me go to forest. Like that's all I want this year. You're going to love it. It's seriously one of I think it's like my number one festival, to be honest. For a while, it was EDC Las Vegas, but Electric Forest is just so different in terms of like the vibes, people being connected, nature. 
Um, but yeah, if you're into that kind of stuff, you're absolutely going to fall in love with it and you're going to be hooked. If you're hooked now, I can't imagine how you're going to be after a festival. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I I'm absolutely hooked and I'm just like, you know, something that is really, um, something that I found that's really interesting in having really started as a candy kid over quarantine and really only connecting with people like online is that there is this massive, massive group of people who are like between 14 and 18, who are going to be like graduating up into raping. And they are, it's, it's like when we were kids, it's, it's like the scene kids, they're back. Oh, like for sure. Culture is back. And they're so like excited to have a space where um, like plur is a thing and they don't get made fun of for wearing candy and they can like have people in their lives who are super positive. Like it's just really interesting. It's really fucking interesting. And I feel in a lot of ways, like I'm still a rave baby because I've never been to a festival and I only started raving really recently. And then in another way, I feel like I'm everybody's rave mom because I have all these children who are like, how do I stay safe at a festival? And I'm like, okay, like let's get Google on the line here. Let me like not give you bad advice. Are like, so these people, are they your friends or do you mean like people that you've met online? Like followers, like TikTok followers and YouTube followers and stuff. There's, it's, it's just a lot of interaction. Like TikTok is very, very interactive. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I do follow the hashtag candy. And I remember when I first started following it, it was a bunch of scene kids. And I was like, is this correct? Like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think that I'm following the right hashtag. And so I, I checked it. And of course it was like seeing kids with candy on. And I, for a while, I was like, are these like really old photos from like the early 2000s? Like I didn't get it. And then yeah, I, right? yeah. And a lot of them are like pictures that you would see, like on my space, like a selfie, like a camera phone, selfie photo. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I mean, I grew up with scene kids, like knowing a lot of them. So I was oh, like, yeah. this is kind of awesome because it's like another culture. Mm-hmm. Like it's back. It, it cycled back around and now it's coming back. But yeah, I was really, I mean, when I first got on TikTok, that was really all the candy content that was on there was, it was all just like scene kids. Um, and now there's a couple of us who are like ravers who are sort of bringing candy more into um, TikTok as well and getting like more people into raving and more people into EDM. And it's really nice. It's like a really, really nice community. That's awesome. I'm so happy to hear you say that because I know a few people that think that candy is kind of dying off and that people aren't as plur anymore, but I do feel like we have a good chunk of people that are like diehards like you that like believe in spreading the love that are getting, you know, these baby ravers into it. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really think it's dead to be honest. No, it's definitely not dead. I do think it's like, um, it it is a geographical thing. Like for example, in Europe, candy is just really not a thing. Um, that's, I have, you know, whatever a couple of people have told me, like, it's just really not a thing over there. Um, and I guess like West coast candy is a super, super big thing. East coast is not really a thing. Like it kind of is, but not. Uh, and so I think that probably has a lot to do with it as well. Like people in New York raving being like, I don't see anyone wearing candy. Like, okay. Yeah. It's, it's a California thing. 
Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, I'm here in Nevada and everyone for the most part does, especially EDC. Um, it's oh, for sure. It's like the norm kind of, yeah. So I didn't know that it was like a, a geographical thing. I mean, I had a feeling in terms of like Europe that they weren't into it as much because their whole style and like the rave scene, the way like rave fashion is like completely different. It's not really fashion. It's more like festival fashion, I think. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's definitely more festival fashion. Um, but like I, and this is from, um, someone that I'm friends with who has been raving since like, I want to say 98, something like that. We like got into it. We were talking about like the origins of candy and like the history of it. And he was telling me about how when he was growing up in like the California rave scene, candy was super big. And then he moved to New York and like, nobody knew what the fuck he was talking about. So obviously it's like a situational thing and everyone's going to, everyone's experience is going to be varied. It's never going to be like, yeah, it's exactly this for everyone. Um, but I think that like in some areas, it probably is dying out a little bit, but there is a huge wave of kids who are like graduating up into adulthood who are like fucking ready to go to raves and like start bringing candy back. And they're like hyped to trade candy. So it's really sweet. It's very, very cute. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's awesome. Have you seen that meme where it's like, the phase after a candy kid, you're either a techno snob or you're a base head trying to find spirituality. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is way too accurate. Who who did Absolutely. this? Absolutely. I mean, listen, I'm already a base head. So <laughs> like yeah. in the sense of I like idiot, like um dubstep. I, you know, headbanger. Well, welcome. Welcome, fellow headbanger. I'm just, uh, I'm just so excited for you to like venture off into like your own first festival, especially if you do Electric Forest. I, based off that tapestry that you have back there too, I'm like, you're going to love it because it's nothing but like that really artsy, um, like magical, there's like live art everywhere. So that's why I'm like, you're, you're just going to love it as a creator. I think that you're just going to enjoy it so freaking much. Yeah. Yo, so let's not forget that rave makeup cannot be completed without some face trims or a glitter highlight. Turn heads with Squad Goals Beauty, a mom and daughter makeup artist company that will have you slaying in no time. I personally use Squad Goals Beauty and have been using them forever. I've used their glitters at almost every festival that I've gone to because they are so different. My most favorite glitter is actually called a maze balls it's like this very pretty iridescent um, diamond shaped white glit glitter and it just accents my glitter highlights so well and it has like this 3d look and it just gives my look so much more dimension so i absolutely love 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 and recommend squad Bulls beauty um, they not only have glitter but they do have um, of course face gems but also if you need braiding hair if you're lazy and want some clipping braids bam, you have your look together. And what's nice is that it's kind of like a one-stop shop because they do also carry some brave clothing such as harnesses, bodysuits, pasties, and everything that you need to get festival ready. And um, if you haven't gotten anything yet, if you're going to EDC Las Vegas, Singularity, Sunset Music Festival, uh, use the code best candy ever to save at checkout 
best candy ever. And go ahead and check out Squad Girls Beauty, um, Sarah and Stephanie. Absolutely love, love, love them. Um, and yeah, check out their wide variety of rave accessories, makeup, and more. And slay with Squad Girls Beauty. Use code best candy ever. In terms of the the pandemic, has it like affected your business? So I only started my business in the middle of the pandemic. Um, So I don't know, like right now it is not something that pays any bills. It really just pays for itself. It's like, I, you know, I sell candy so I can keep making candy so I can buy more beads and like better supplies and like, and you know, all that stuff. Um, I would say that like now that we're coming out of the pandemic and festivals are starting back up, I definitely have seen an increase in orders, whether that's because we're coming out of the pandemic or because festivals are coming back or because people are just fucking happy that it's not cloudy and rainy anymore. Like, I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It's still a baby. It's still in its first year of business. Yeah. And I think that's really successful for its first year in business. So I'm really excited to hear from you later on because I feel like you're only going to pick up and get bigger. And I feel like you already have this uh, really great following. So I'm super stoked. And um, yeah, I feel like I'll end up seeing you at like some festival doing a workshop, teaching, doing your thing. I would love that. I, I mean, that's the dream. Like that's truly the dream. I'm looking at like possibly doing some Zoom candy classes over the summer or something like that. Um because it is a lot easier to teach people like in person than doing tutorials. Tutorials are great, but for some of the trickier stuff, like you really want feedback. And especially for um, like teenagers and kids, sometimes they really struggle. And so having like a live connection where you can be like, oh no, like the other bead, move one over. is It's so much faster and easier than watch the tutorial again, you know? Yeah. I think you're onto something because a lot of creators I noticed are doing things like coaching classes or coaching courses, business courses. So Mm -hmm. I think that's something that um, is definitely like realistic and can for sure happen, especially now. But so, yeah. yeah. So can you um, like, kind of tell us uh like what besides like you know the music that you're into like since you just started raving um like what are you expecting out of it because it's I feel like you have so many like different insights already um just because you're like creating all this candy like wanting to teach but you like you take into account that like people can't like afford it like would you say that like you like raving because of like the music or is it like the vibes or is it just like a combination between all of that? It's definitely a combination between all of it. I do love the music. Um, fun fact, my high school was on the same campus with um, Sonny Moore. We went to high school at the same <gasps> Are you time. Serious? Yeah. I knew him growing up. I'm like Facebook friends with his sister still. Um, we have like I mean, I was two, three years younger than him. And when you're a teenager, that's like an ocean of time. So it's not like we were ever close. It's, I I doubt he remembers me, but like, it was small. It was real small private schools. So like, you know, and so then when he blew up, I was like, oh, it's sunny. Like, let's check out Skrillex. What's this? Oh, this is dope. So I've always like enjoyed dubstep. I've always like enjoyed EDM. I grew up on like happy hardcore when I was in middle school, you know? 
Um, so it's always, the music has always been like a constant for me. I've always enjoyed various forms of EDM. Um, and then going actually like going to a show, I have super, super, super severe, um, like anxiety that kicks up and especially like meeting new people, talking to new people and trading candy is, has been a really, really good way to kind of get out of my shell and have really positive experiences with people. And, um, even at the last couple shows that I went to, you know, to in the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, um, there were like little rave babies there who were like 18, 19, 20, their little X's on the backs of their hands that are like, it's my first show, you know, and I taught them how to trade candy and they like started crying because they learned how to trade candy. And they're like, oh my God, I've seen this on the internet. Like, this is a real thing. It's like, my heart just explodes. It's so fucking cute. Um, so yeah, like between that and the music and, you know, the friends that I have made, obviously it's not, everybody is not going to be plural all the time. It's just unrealistic to say that or think that or expect it, but there is enough like commonality between people who are really into raving and really into plur and like trying to live a life that, you know, goes along with plur, um, that I found some really, really close friends in the community because we have those sort of like viewpoints and principles in common. Um, and I really, really like that. Like, despite any other like types of people that I have run into, um, I think it's overall still very much worth it. And it's something that really makes me happy. Absolutely. I agree with you. There's that saying that it's all plur until you get to the parking lot. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, that is the realest shit that I've heard because it is, it is for sure true. For sure mm-hmm. true. Yeah. You really have to like be careful and watch your back just like with any, anything else. But I would say that I have still like very much enjoyed the, the, um, the limited interactions that I've had before the parking lot where it's all still plur. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing too about raves and EDM. It's, it's that with any other genre of music, I feel like you can't really find that same vibe. Like people genuinely do care for each other like more, but also I, I think it just kind of depends too, like maybe on the genres of music you listen to prior because for me I listened to a lot of um like metal and black metal growing up in high school and it was just so not I don't want to say it was negative but it wasn't a happy vibe it wasn't an optimistic vibe so and, and you know that type of music like growing up listening to that it wasn't always I mean I absolutely love it but like listening to to something super upbeat and happy now it it's just a completely different vibe. And I feel like that's why I fell in love with it just because it, it it just, it genuinely made me happier. Not that metal doesn't make me happy, but it, um, it helped, it helped me through some tough times. Absolutely. Like a hundred percent. I like, honestly, I, I don't listen to music that much. Like I will occasionally, I would say like once or twice a week, if I'm driving, I'll put on music. Otherwise I listen to just podcasts all the time. Um, (gasps) Who do you yeah, like, like to listen to? 
Um, so right now I'm listening to Sayre, which is like a futuristic horror podcast. There are so many of those. Yeah, there's a lot of horror podcasts. I just, the Magnus Archives just wrapped up. I was absolutely addicted to that, which is um, a horror podcast. It was not futuristic. It was like British existential horror, kind of Lovecraftian stuff. Um, and it just finished. So I have moved on to my next one, which is Sayer, which is kind of like evil robot AI in space, like ultra super space capitalism taken to its horrifying end. Um, it's very good. It sounds, it sounds very upsetting, but it's very good. It's very funny. Um, it sounds cool. Yes. And then I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. Um, I guilty, guilty pleasures. My, my, uh, my favorite murder and last podcast on the left. I've been listening to those for God, probably five or six years now. Um, and like, they're very problematic in a lot of ways, but I still, they're, they're comforting podcasts for me to listen to, even though they're all about like murder and true crime. Um, there's a couple other good, like really good true crime podcasts that I am super, super behind on, but mostly what I listen to is, is true crime and, um, horror. <laughs> I love it. I love that. There's a podcast for everybody. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah, so you've gone into podcast. You're you've been listening to podcasts for a while. You said about five years for one of those, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I feel like it, like podcasting, just recently blew up. I mean, I freaking created my own during the pandy, but um, they're they're great. I feel like you can learn so much, but it also I. Not that music doesn't keep my attention, but I feel like when somebody's talking, you tend to listen more, almost like you're in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It's really comforting because I um, I don't live with my partner right now. We're moving in together in June. And so when I'm like falling asleep, it's really, really hard for me to fall asleep like by myself because my I'll just be like thinking about like whatever and my brain just like won't shut up. So if I throw on a podcast and I just like listen to the podcast, put a little sleep timer on there, it's like I'm just listening to a friend talk in the background and I can like relax and go to sleep. Yeah, 100%. I, I do the same thing when I drive to work because I'm like alone, but I like to listen to to like anything from like social media podcasts to learning about um, like the housing market. And there's just so many things, but yeah, I feel like there's definitely something for everyone. Maybe in the future you can start a podcast on how to make candy. (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll definitely, we'll see about that one, but um, it's not out of the question. We'll see, you know, the future is like large, expansive, never ending, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Did like, but when like growing up, were you, did you see yourself having your own business? Like, would you have ever expected this? Not at all. So, um, I, I was raised in Scientology. My mom got into Scientology when I was like seven or eight. My parents were divorced. My dad, um, was, he had partial custody, but we saw him like every other weekend, whatever. He was not a Scientologist. My mom joined staff pretty immediately. So she started working for the church. She worked for the church for basically my entire childhood. Um, I went to a private school. I went to a private Scientology school. And and, and real quick, B, can you explain what Scientology is for those? Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Scientology is a cult. It's a fringe religion. There's, I want to say, probably 40,000, 30,000 members worldwide. 
It is based off of the writings of L. Ron Hubbard, who um, is a dude who was like a science fiction writer back in the 30s and 40s and then founded a religion in order to evade the IRS. And um, there's a lot of very, very fascinating, like crazy shit surrounding Scientology. I was raised in it, so I didn't know any of the crazy shit. I thought it was just a religion. Um, and of course, it's kind of a doomsday cult. The 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 whole thing is like we have to save the planet because, you know, all this bad shit is happening and Scientology is the only thing that's going to actually like help people. So we have to get everybody into Scientology um, faster than the world is ending so that we can like not have nuclear war. That's kind of the the like attitude. And there's there's like a lot to explain. I definitely recommend if you haven't heard about Scientology or you don't know about Scientology, Google it, look at Wikipedia. Um, I think there's, there's a Netflix really, documentary on it too. Yep, there's a Netflix documentary. There's an HBO documentary. Going Clear is a great documentary. Um, there's a show with Leah Remini. Um, Leah Remini's The Aftermath, which is a fantastic show and very, very accurate. I watched it all and like... I would say it's like 95% accurate. Um, it's anyway, it's crazy shit. It's crazy cult shit. I graduated from high school when I was 15 and immediately went to start working for the church. I worked for my local church until I was 20. And then I joined the Sea Org, which is like, um, you know, Christianity or Catholicism have like monks and nuns. So it's like the religious order. It's kept separate from everybody else. Like you have your own living quarters that are paid for by the church and you only work for the church and you like do whatever they say. So that was what I did um, from age 20 to 27. When I was 27, I ran away in the middle of the night, got on an airplane and um, went to Minnesota to live with a stranger that I met on the internet who said that he had a room for me if I left Scientology. Okay, so back up. How, so, so you, you grew up in it, you, you were raised with it, like your whole life. What happened for you to just wake up one day and be like, peace out? Um, it was a slow slide. It wasn't like an overnight thing at all. I was married at the time. I had been with the same guy for 10 years. Um, I was also deeply, deeply, deeply unhappy. Um, he was abusive but not in a way that the church would recognize as abusive. So like nothing was going to ever be done about it. Um, Do they think only certain forms of abuse count? So like um, you and I know that marital rape is a thing that happens. Probably put a trigger warning on this episode. Um, If you're married and your spouse says, hey, honey, I don't want to have sex tonight. And then you force them to have sex with you or coerce them to have sex with you or yell at them until they have sex with you or whatever, that's a form of rape. Um, the church does not recognize that as a form of rape. So that's I, I reported it. I, I went to the chaplain. I told people about it and they were like, you should be happy that your husband wants to have sex with you while he really loves you a lot. So. Oh, that's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really bad. Um, I got pregnant twice. I was forced to have an abortion both times. Uh, after the second time, my husband was forced to get a vasectomy. By, it's a lot. The, was that by the church or was that yeah. by? No, no, that was by the church. Yeah. Sea Org members are not allowed to have kids. So it was like either you can get an abortion and leave the Sea Org or you can get an abortion and stay in the Sea Org. And we really need you to stay in the Sea Org because um, we like need the manpower. So 
yeah. Okay. And, and, and <laughs> is that, um, it's, it's Sea Org is the, it's the ecclesiastical order. It's like, it's where I was working. Okay. Um, it's like, I know this is like a lot, this is a very unexpected left turn. Um, oh, I keep going. Yeah, for sure. So, oh, there's going to be a siren in the background. I live in Minnesota and they're testing their tornado sirens, which normally they only do on the first Wednesday of the month. But for whatever reason, they decided to also test it today. And everybody oh, okay. was like, wait, is it Wednesday? No, it's Thursday. I don't know why. It, anyway, oh, there's no, a, no worries. Yeah, storm in the background. Um, anyway, so I was just really, 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 really unhappy. Um, and I had gotten to a point where I basically was like, okay, I cannot live like this. Like, I just can't, I cannot, cannot, cannot live like this. Um, either I can just kill myself or I can leave. So I left. Did that take, well, you said it was like a, a slow burn, but I imagine that were, were, I mean, were you able to do it the the first time or were there multiple times where you tried and like you couldn't get yourself to do it? So I did try to leave like the proper way um, a couple times. One of the times was one of like one of the times I got pregnant, I tried to keep the baby and leave and basically got put in isolation, like sequestered away from everybody else, not allowed to see my husband, um, not really allowed to talk to anybody everybody got told that I was like bad. And so they just shunned me and like, wouldn't talk to me. Um, and essentially like kept like that. And then people would come periodically and try to talk me into staying every couple of days. Um, and so I was kept like that for about a month until I gave in and said, okay, I'll get the abortion. Um, so yeah, that was, I, you know, that's what they do when you try to leave when you're in the Sea Org and they don't want you to leave is they like, torture you basically. Um, oh, I was also interrogated for like five or six hours a day about like what crimes I had committed that made me want to leave. Yeah. That's another thing with Scientology. They believe that if you ever want to leave somewhere, like if you want to get a divorce, if you want to leave a job, if you want to move away, any like wanting to leave is caused by your own like crimes and like bad deeds against that person or area. So because I got pregnant and wanted to leave, they were like, ah, you've committed crimes against Scientology. Let's interrogate you. So I was being interrogated like five or six hours a day um, throughout that time. So I knew like if I said, hey, I want to leave, like I'm done with this. I don't want to be in Scientology anymore. Like that was what was going to happen. I was going to get taken back to the base. I was going to get put under watch, um, put in a room, like forced back into interrogations, made to like do this whole song and dance. Anytime that I wouldn't be in interrogations, I would be doing um, like hard labor, like scrubbing floors, digging ditches, all that stuff. So I was just like, can't do that either. Like that, that is legitimately feels like a face wor- fate worse than death to me. Like I cannot do that again. Um, so it was the easier decision to be like, all right, I don't really know this internet stranger, but it's gotta be better than this. Um, and luckily it was, so it all worked out. Yeah. How old were you at the time when all of that happened, when you like try to leave and they pretty much like um, mind fucked you? 24, 25. That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. And are your parents still, um, in the church? 
yeah, my mom is, um, my stepdad is, and my little brother is, they've all like disowned me, cut me off. I don't exist to them anymore. Um, my dad was never in the church, but he did pick up a pretty nasty meth habit a couple years ago. So I don't talk to him either. Yeah. That's its own church. Yeah. We're, that's that, that is what it is. Um, best of luck to him on his own away from me. But, um, yeah, I reached out to my mom last January, January before, like I, I reached out to her a couple months after leaving. Cause I just literally picked up in the middle of the night and got on a plane. Didn't tell anyone where I was going, changed my phone number. Um, like re, uh, set my laptop, like rebooted everything. So they couldn't track me. Um, they did still track me down. They sent my little brother after me. He showed up on my doorstep like a week after I left and like waited until I got home, kind of like stalking me to try and get me back. And so I called the cops on him at that time. Um, and I haven't heard from anybody else since. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot, but <laughs> you did it, dude. Like you made yeah. it. You made it out of there it sounds like it sounds like a freaking movie um and you know this story it reminds me of um girls and like really abusive husbands which is practically what you were in and them like the way that they escape it it's usually not the the first try it's usually like like at many attempts later where they can actually do it and they did it very similar to just like how you did where you don't tell anyone what you're doing. You just have to get up and go at whatever chance that you get. Yeah. I mean, it is a lot like that for sure. Um, I think that hardcore religions, like very high control religions can be a lot like abusive partners in a way. Um, like I still considered myself a Scientologist when I left. It took it took a little while to not consider myself a Scientologist anymore. It literally was down to, you know, I still believe in this religion. I still feel like this religion is correct and right. But like, I personally um, am so sad <laughs> that I will die if I stay here. So like, I have to remove myself from this situation because, and I, for a while I was like, it's because I'm not good enough. It's because I'm not, you know, pure enough or strong enough or whatever. Like, you know, I'm bad. So I have to leave kind of thing, which was wrong. I'm not bad. I'm fantastic. But, um, like it really took a while to sort of deprogram myself. Um, and you know, I went online, I read up on all the shit that we weren't allowed to read. Um, what are you guys not allowed to read? You're not allowed to Google Scientology. If you're in Scientology, you're not allowed to go online and like look at Wikipedia. You're not allowed to Google Scientology. You're not allowed to watch any movie or TV show that like derogatorily mentions Scientology. Um, if you are like listening to a podcast and they say something bad about Scientology, you're not allowed to listen to that podcast anymore. Like it's really, really, really hardcore. Wow. I didn't know it was that controlling. I mean, because it's like, how would oh, yeah. they even know that you're Googling Scientology, you know? Snitch culture. Um, if you have, if you live with other Scientologists, if your kids are Scientologists, your parents are Scientologists, your spouse or your friends are Scientologists, and any of them finds out in any way, like I literally know somebody who her kids saw in her internet history that she had gone to the Wikipedia, the Scientology Wikipedia, and they ratted her out. 
like it's hardcore snitch culture. So yeah, like, like hardcore snitch culture. Um, and they really, really, really believe that like, this isn't the right terminology, but it's sort of the equivalent, like saving your eternal soul kind of depends on honesty and being in like completely forthright. And so any dishonesty will stop you from being saved. Um, again, like anybody who's listening to this, who knows about Scientology, that's not the right words, but that's kind of the concept. And so, um, it's just a lot of true believers who think that by snitching, they are helping you. Wow. So like, I guess like some of my questions would be in terms of, um, like, marital rape do they view women um like inferior to men or can can it go both ways it can go both ways kind of the concept in scientology is like reincarnation so you've lived a gazillion lives before you'll live a gazillion lives after gender doesn't really make a huge difference technically however L. Ron Hubbard, the founder, was definitely misogynistic and like sexist. And that does come across in his writing. Like he very specifically said, like, it's the woman's job to cook and clean and like raise the kids. Those are womanly things. It's a man's job to provide like pretty traditional gender roles type stuff. Um, and like, there's nothing that necessarily says like the woman has to put out or else she's a bad wife. But there is definitely stuff that's like sex is natural. And like, if you don't, you know, enjoy it every once in a while, there's something wrong with you. And like, it's very, it's a very like kind of contentious thing. It's a little pure, it's a little bit like puritanical, like any sort of kink or BDSM would definitely be a problem. Like you would get in trouble for using a vibrator. Um, oh, wow. And like masturbating, you get, you're not allowed to masturbate when you're in Scientology. It's like viewed as um, harmful. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Cause it's like really healthy for you. But, I know. Yeah. Um, would you say that it has some similar, like some similar characteristics um, to like Christianity? Because some of it seems so extreme and it reminds me of um, like Catholicism um, in terms of like, um, like, you're not supposed to have sex before marriage technically. And mm -hmm. um like birth control or homosexuality? Is it, are some of the things the same? Yeah, so Scientology is basically um, a whole bunch of different things stolen from a bunch of different places. So there's definitely some like Christianity in there. There's definitely some Buddhism in there. There's some like Freudian psychology in there, some hypnotism. Like it's, it's just a whole bunch of stuff that happened to be around in like the 30s and 40s that Aaron Hubbard took and was like, yes, this is my religion. Wow. I wonder, I feel like people that were like heads of cults are normally cr not only crazy, but I feel like they usually want, um, like they're always right. Like, I feel like they, like they grew up oh, yeah. with some, some childhood trauma or they just always had the need to, to be correct and have control and, um, almost, preyed off of other people's vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you say something bad about L. Ron Hubbard, that is like a crime in Scientology. And if you're being interrogated for like 
supposed crimes or supposed bad actions, um, some of the questions that they will ask is like, have you had critical thoughts about Aaron Hubbard? Have you thought anything bad about Aaron Hubbard? And if the answer to that is yes, then they'll be like, great. Well, like what crimes did you commit? And when I say crimes, like I'm not just talking about like theft and like murder and, you know, the things that you and I think about as crimes. I'm also talking about like, um, skipping class for a day or masturbating or, um, falsely reporting a statistic like say you were supposed to um read five books and you reported that you read six or whatever like this is a totally made up example but like those are also considered to be crimes like there's a huge long list including talking shit about Ron Hubbard that are all like crimes in Scientology that's nuts so it's literally like little crimes that don't really hurt people for the most part yeah Absolutely. Because the whole thing is like, well, if you did something that you feel bad about, that's going to weigh your soul down and like prevent you from attaining like spiritual growth. So really the problem is you. Jeez. So since they determine their own crimes, it sounds like they have their own form of punishment too. Like what you mentioned earlier, like having to do like the, the the dirty work, like the the work that nobody wants to do. Is there anything past that if you do admit to a crime such as talking shit about the founder? Um, yeah, so they have a whole list of like, I think it's 36 levels of punishment starting from, yeah, it's called, so they call it the ethics gradients because it's like, levels of like ethics right ethical punishment and it starts from just like if somebody's doing something bad you just like look at them and don't say anything like that's the lowest level and it goes all the way up to being expelled from Scientology is like the the highest level um so like I'm pretty sure I've been expelled from Scientology but nobody will actually tell me this is the other thing they don't really understand how social media works or how like the internet works and so they just like try to keep themselves off the internet as much as possible, but they do it badly. So like, I am 90% sure that I've been fully expelled from Scientology and like declared a suppressive person, which is their way of saying like, you're pure evil. Anybody who's a suppressive person is like naturally evil and only lives to see others suffer. Like that's, that's their thing, right? Nobody will tell me. I've tried multiple times to find out, like, am I declared? Am I actually, like, expelled from Scientology? They will not take my calls. They will not answer me. It's the funniest shit ever. They're afraid I'm going to, like, go online and be like, oh, here's my declare. Like, here's the piece of paper that says I'm suppressive. Like, what the fuck am I going to do? Anyway. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole bunch of different levels. And that's the highest. Um, a lot of it, a lot of the, like, definitive punishment has to do with making amends. Like, embarrassing yourself, making yourself like, like going around to everybody and telling them that you're a really bad person and you're sorry. And you like stayed up all night scrubbing pots. Can you please, please be allowed back into the group of like good people? Um, a lot of it is stuff like that, but you know, how one then makes amends or how one then like proves that they can be trusted again. That's kind of where it gets into, digging ditches, scrubbing pots and pans, um, staying up all night with no sleep in order to like get this thing done in time for 
you know, whatever deadline, stuff like that. Um, and a lot of the stuff that would be considered punishment by you or me, like staying up all night to meet a deadline, multiple nights in a row, having shortened meal breaks, um, working 15 hour days on the regular. That's just kind of normal life in the Sea Org. That's not even necessarily looked at as like punishment. It's just how things are. Wow. That sounds like the, like, basically it sounds like a, um, someone's taking away your human rights. Yeah. Like a lot of it was that it felt like indentured servitude. Um, you really don't have a lot of human rights when you're in the Sea Org because you are pretty brainwashed into thinking that it's all for the greater good. And like any pain that you're suffering now is temporary. It's just this lifetime. It's just right now. Like it's worth it so that in the future, in your next lifetime, the world won't be like exploded in a nuclear war. And, you know, it doesn't matter that you're unhappy now because doing this now means that you'll have a good future. That's kind of the attitude. Oh, wow. So like after, after you die, like what they believe is you'll be reincarnated. Right. And if you, um, what is it like, if you're not a good person or if you don't follow the rules, do they think that you will be reincarnated as something, um, less than a human or do they think that you'll be reincarnated at all? Or how does that work? Um, so it's not like, it's not as clearly defined as it is in some other religions with reincarnation. Like I know there's some, I, it might be Buddhism, but I also might be totally wrong where like, if you're bad in this lifetime, you get reincarnated as like a fly or a bug or, you know, something like that. Um, it's not like that. It's that like, you'll still be reincarnated as a human. You're not going to be reincarnated as like an animal or a tree or anything like that. But like, maybe you're going to be reincarnated as a disabled human. Maybe you're going to be reincarnated as a trans human. Maybe you're going to be reincarnated into a family that beats you and starves you and abuses you. So like kind of the Scientology viewpoint is anybody who's disabled um, or has, you know, anybody who has disabilities, anybody who is queer, anybody who um, had a really bad childhood, like it's because they were bad in their last lifetime. And so they got what they deserved this lifetime. So do they think it's, I guess, a choice? Yeah, totally. Oh my God. That is so extreme. I didn't know that. That's yeah. They, they go to great lengths, like great lengths to not only hide how extreme it is from the public, but also from people who are just getting into Scientology. So like the first probably couple of years that you're in Scientology for the most part um, are pretty normal. Like it's a lot of just generic self-help stuff. And then once you're in too deep, either you've invested too much money or now you've got friends and family who are in Scientology or you just like, oh, this like self-help stuff worked for me at the beginning. So like this next stuff will help. This next stuff will help. This next stuff will help. Um, at a certain point, you're in too deep to just like get out of it again. Sunk cost fallacy. You've put too much into it to just walk away from it. Um, that's when they start getting fucking weird. Jeez. Do they um, do they look at drugs as being like something horrible since you're like altering your state of consciousness? Like, do they care about that kind of stuff? Yep. Drugs are terrible, including aspirin. I wasn't allowed to have painkillers for a headache. 
Oh my fucking God, dude. Mm-hmm. No drugs whatsoever. Like none, none caffeine. at all. Um, caffeine was fine. Everybody, everybody drank a shit ton of coffee and smoked cigarettes. Like it was going out of style. Oh, those drugs yeah. count. Okay. Yeah. Those drugs are fine. Um, because L. Ron Hubbard liked to drink and he liked smoking. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so Okay. So once, once you left, like, how was it adapting to life without Scientology? Cause that's like all you knew. Yeah, I was fucking crazy. Um, I didn't know how to like, God, I didn't know how to do anything. Basically. I barely knew how to work Uber. Um, I like didn't know how to pay taxes. I didn't know how to find a job. Um, I like learned really quick. I learned really, really quick. Um, I also got, so, okay. So when I left, the person that I was staying with was like, Hey, you can stay here on a couple of conditions. One, pay your rent up front. Like I can't afford to just have you staying here for no money, whatever to get into therapy immediately. Like we'll find you a free therapist. We'll find you a, a clinic or a center or whatever. Don't care what it is get into therapy immediately. Three, get a job within like two weeks. Okay, cool. So I did that. Um, I started going to a place that had like a free, you know, trauma therapy, free, free volunteer, whatever. It wasn't like a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but it was like a trained volunteer. Um, and she kind of helped, she helped me figure out like how to get around, how to get transportation, how to get a job, like kind of the basic stuff that I needed. She helped me a lot with that. Um, it was one of the, I don't remember which place it was, but it was like a free trauma center here in Minneapolis. Um, and then I also reconnected with somebody who I had known, um, he was in the Sea Org with me back in the day. His name is Chris Shelton. He also has a podcast and, um, Yes, it's um oh god, why am I forgetting what it's called? He's going to kill me. Um ah! <laughs> You're going to remember when this is over, watch. I know, right? Um just put it in the put I'll link it in the description whatever something. Yeah, 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 yeah I'll, I'll link it. For I'll sure. send it to you. Um I did a full like I did a full interview with him, like a two and a half hour interview going nitty-gritty details about all of this. So I'll I'll send you that link. Um yeah, and he said he, he was a former member, right? He was also a former member. And so he hooked me up with some people who like all of the people who are on the aftermath TV show in the first season, after that first season, they all got together and they were like, that was cool. Like, I'm glad we got to speak out, but I want to do something that's actually like really going to help people. And so they started a foundation called the aftermath foundation, which is specifically designed as a nonprofit to help people leaving Scientology. Um, so they gave me a grant. They like gave me some money oh, to awesome. buy winter clothes yeah. Uh, they put a down payment on a car for me. They helped me get a job. They like helped me write a resume and like all that stuff. And then, um, yeah. So pretty immediately after that, I like, I basically was like, Hey, um, I've been monogamous and with the same man since I was like 16 and I kind of want to just like slug it up and like explore. (laughs) Um, and so I like got on Tinder, started having a bunch of hookups, had like a nice solid hoe phase, like literally a date, different guy every night for like a month, which was fantastic. And then I met a dude who I fell in love with and was like, dope, moved in <laughs> with him <laughs> after dating for like a month. Um, and we didn't last, we, we lasted almost a year 
he's a super sweet guy. We're still friends. Absolutely nothing against him. But all of this was also happening as I was like finally having the space to explore me as a person and be like, oh, like I'm pretty gay and I'm not binary. Like I'm not a girl. I'm not a guy. I'm some mush of genders somewhere in between there. And I'm not monogamous. I'm polyamorous. Like I kind of need more than one partner in order to be really feel fulfilled and like happy. Um, And he's an absolute sweetheart, but he's very monogamous and very straight. And so we just didn't work out because of that reason. Um, Anyway, but I like moved in with him and was living with him for a while. And he helped me out a whole ton with like more logistical stuff. And like, I mean, I still even... God, two, three months ago, like learned that if you put mail in the mailbox that you want the mail person to pick up, you have to like pull the th- the little red flag up. I'd never had a mailbox. I didn't know that. <laughs> is that something that people in Scientology do or is that just how you're seeing? No, it's just or- like, I just never had, had lived in a house. Like we always had lived in these squalid little shitty apartments because all of our money was going to Scientology. So the only mailbox that I had ever experienced was like an apartment mailbox, you know, that like wall of boxes that you like open with a key. Right. And it has like the out mail. I'm living, now I'm living in like a house house and they have like a little actual like mailbox. And I just learned that if you want the mail carrier to pick up your mail, you have to put the little red flag up. Like, I didn't know that. So I'm still running into stuff. My point here is that I'm still like, occasionally will run into stuff that I just like, didn't know, never learned. It it sounds like a culture shock. Yeah, it was definitely culture shock. I was very, very happy. Um, I was very, very happy to be out. I was very happy to be able to get tattoos and dye my hair crazy colors and express myself and my own gender and sexuality in like whatever way that I felt would best represent me. Are they against um, that? like the colored hair? The tattoos? For Org members, yeah, for sure. Um, if you're in the Sea Org, you can't have colored hair. You can't have tattoos that are in visible places. Um, you have to dress like very conservatively all the time. No cleavage, no like big exposed patches of skin, no short skirts, like none of that. Very, very like prim and proper kind of thing. Geez. So what if you're not in the the Sea Org and you still um, set? So, so if you're not in the Sea Org, but you're just like a Scientologist, you can do whatever you want with your hair. You can get tattoos. Um, if you dress provocatively, you will definitely get a talking to because they'll be like, ah, you're a slut. You're doing bad things. You're sleeping around. You're promiscuous. Let's like fix you. Um, yeah. But other than that, I, I mean, I worked for the church from age 15. So like I had never been able to have crazy hair. I had never been able to have like tattoos in visible places. Um, I'd never been able to wear any sort of like revealing clothing, even like a, like a midriff shirt, even like a crop top, like would be too much. Wow. So h- how long ago was it that you left? Um, I left in October of 2018, end of October, 2018. Oh my fucking God. That was not too long ago. That was not too long ago. No, it wasn't. Um, it was, it's, it's fairly fresh. It's fairly recent. I will probably eventually 
write a book. I have written about 15,000 words, but I don't know if that's actually going to be like a book or if that's just me like venting. Um, but that is also kind of, I think a reason that I feel so passionate about raving and candy and the community and everything is because I really don't have much of a family outside of raving, um, and outside of the family that I have built for myself and having a space where self-expression is encouraged and having a space where acceptance of people who are different than you in whatever way is encouraged is really, really powerful. And um, so I really want to do everything that I can to make it the most inclusive space possible. And, you know, for anybody who has the common interest in the music and, you know, maybe it's the music, maybe it's the fashion, maybe it's the candy, whatever. Um, just making it a space that anybody who feels like they want to belong there can. 100%. And I was just thinking that when you were talking about all of the beliefs of Scientology, I was like, this is the complete opposite of raving and the player mantra. Like there's so much self-acceptance and I don't think, I feel like the only thing that ravers really go against is like violence and hate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's really the thing. Like that is kind of where I have landed after so long in such an like intolerant mindset, because like I was brainwashed. I was fully a dedicated Scientologist for 12, 12 years. I worked for the church. Um, and I absolutely did believe pretty much everything that Scientology believes, all of the things like people who are not Scientologists are lesser, they're like, you know, need to be enlightened and saved, you know, homophobia, transphobia, um, slut shaming, like fucking, you you name it, you name it. And I did believe it and I was intolerant. Um, And so coming out of that, like, I also understand that it's really, really easy for somebody to get sucked into an echo chamber and it is easier to keep believing what someone already believes and it is much harder to change that viewpoint if there is no like safe space to talk about it and like have a discussion and have discourse about it and so you know plur it being inclusive of being understanding um, and unity and like togetherness with people who are different from you, I think is really, really important. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I can't agree with you, um, more. I think that's one of the reasons why people, I don't want to say it's like a gang, but you know, usually gang members don't have that sense of family at home, but a gang is normally what, you know, helps create that, that space, that connectedness, but, you know, that, that sense of belonging. Um, When you said that you like, were were still kind of believing um, like Scientology beliefs and were like intolerant. um, When did that really change for you? Was it when you started living like on your own outside of the church or were you already starting to, to think that way? So I've always like, kind of my whole life, I have taken issue with the concept that, um, gay people are bad. Like that has never sat right with me. That had never sat right with me, even though I was kind of forced to enforce that viewpoint. 
Um, and like, there were just logical inconsistencies for me in a lot of Scientology that were just, they were not adding up, but questioning Scientology is a huge crime questioning and like saying that you think something is wrong when it was written by Elron Hubbard, huge crime. So I couldn't do that. Um, but there was always like kind of doubts about that in the back of my head and like about, you know, transgender issues like Scientology believes that, you know, reincarnation, you were a man last lifetime, you're a woman this lifetime. How easy would it be to just like, oh, whoops, like wrong gender. That would totally make sense. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that Scientology was like super like transphobic didn't make sense. But yeah, it it really took me leaving and being in a space where it was okay to not be homophobic and it was okay to not be transphobic um, that I was then like able to actually you know, talk to some gay people and talk to some trans people and like learn about that like subculture and understand like what LGBTQ spaces are and like what the history of like that is because you just don't know, like you just don't fucking know in Scientology. You don't, you don't ever know. Um, you know, I thought I was straight my whole life. <laughs> I truly, truly thought that I was straight. And like, it was totally normal for everybody to be like, oh my God, she's so fucking cute. Like, thought that was normal. Thought that was straight. No, I'm not straight. Um, but I thought I was because I just didn't have any other options. <laughs> yeah. Um. So like before even leaving the church, like if you met like a trans person, um, would you ever like have, like, were you basically kind of just forced to keep your thoughts to yourself? Like, was there ever a time where you were like, this doesn't make sense. This person is so sweet and so nice. I don't see them being a bad person. Like, was that ever, um, like you ever have those moments where you would just meet someone who would like kind of prove the belief wrong, I guess? Yeah, for sure. Um, There's not really, I don't think there's any trans people in Scientology. Let me rephrase that. I'm sure that there are some trans people who are stuck in Scientology and because they are stuck in Scientology, do not realize that they are trans or are unable to come out um, and live life, you know, as their correct gender. Because of that, though, like, I don't think I actually met somebody who was out as trans prior to leaving Scientology. So that was just a totally new experience for me. Um, I knew a couple of people who were gay or, you know, not straight. And it was like a, it was a secret. It was like a very, very hush hush. Two of the people were super, super in the closet. I only found out that they were gay because like the rumor mill told me that they were gay and it was later confirmed that they were gay, but like they were outed without their consent. They tried to pretend that they were straight. Um, they were very, very secretive about being gay and like were actively trying to um, go through conversion therapy to become straight. Oh, God, that breaks my heart. Yeah. Like Scientology has kind of its own version of conversion therapy to like turn people straight. Um, it's really fucked up. And then I had one friend from like elementary school who came out as a lesbian when we were in middle school and I just kind of drifted away from her and like didn't talk to her anymore because I had been taught that that was wrong and it wasn't like okay for me to be friends with her anymore. Wow. So it makes sense why you would 
love raving, like love candy, like love everything behind that piece of candy because it, it it's the complete opposite of what your belief your whole life was until three years ago. Um, like, do you see, well, do you ever um, connect with like former members and besides the your friend that has that podcast like do you ever go to like any support groups because I imagine this being like very traumatizing and um maybe even a little challenging like just learning all these new things and um like finding out more about yourself and getting to know yourself more yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's, I have a couple friends who I was friends with when I was a kid in Scientology and they are both also no longer in Scientology, but we're all in the same age range. We all grew up together. Um, so we text, we text pretty often, uh, and we like snap each other and like, we stay in pretty close contact. Um, and then there's a Facebook group for people who used to be in Scientology or were raised in specifically people who were raised in Scientology, where like their parents were Scientologists and their second, third, fourth generation Scientologists who are now out of the church. Um, and that Facebook group is kind of a communal sharing ground for that kind of stuff. There's a couple of like rooms and clubhouse that get used for group therapy sessions once or twice a week. I don't really attend those group therapy sessions. A lot of the people who are in that group um, are like a generation older than I am. Like I'm a sort of middle millennial and they're definitely like Gen X or even like a couple boomers. And so just sort of the um, overall tone of the group therapy sessions kind of ends up being uncomfortable for me as somebody who like, like I share trauma with them in the sense of we all were in Scientology and most of us were in the Sea Org. Um, but at the same time, like currently a lot of my attention and efforts are occupied by, you know, what's been happening here in Minneapolis. Um, the recent fucking murders of people of color and trying to support my community here and like do whatever local activism that I can. And so then to go into a space where that is mostly white people and is mostly like pushed aside because that's not obviously not the focus of the group therapy sessions. Um, it's like, I don't know. It's just a really different lens. Like I feel like I kind of try to view everything from a more like holistic viewpoint. Like how can I take all this bullshit that I went through and turn it into something that benefits my community and benefits other people who maybe are in similar situations now or are coming out of similar like abusive situations. What can I do? Like I recognize my privilege as a person who is white, regardless of any other, like regardless of any other minority groups that I'm part of, I'm part of, you know, um, people with femme bodies, people who are trans, people who are queer, um, people who are cult survivors, like all of those minority groups for sure. But my white privilege comes before that and is going to be like, make shit easier for me before that, at, like primarily. And so what can I do that will help other people? Like, how can I turn my trauma into something that is going to help other people and lift other people up who are currently still actively being traumatized and abused and hurt? And like, I just don't feel like that is the same viewpoint that a lot of people who 
came out of the church have. And so I don't really connect with them in uh, a lot of ways. Yeah, it almost sounds like um, that you're kind of saying that they don't see it as like an uneven, like a not so leveled playing field almost. Is that yeah, kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm very much just rambling, but it's kind of, it's very much like we got abused. We got disadvantaged. How could they do this to us? Like we're, we're, um, you know, so disadvantaged by all of this without acknowledging the privilege that we all have just kind of leaves an achy taste in my mouth, you know? And like, yeah, almost like, uh, like they're, I almost want to say it's like, well, what about me? I guess. Yeah. And like, that's not, it's not to say that the trauma is invalid. The trauma is totally valid. It's super fucked up. A lot of them went through worse shit than I did for longer than I did. hundred percent. Not, not saying that they didn't like, it is absolutely a disadvantage, but it just, I don't know. I don't do well in those group therapy sessions because I just feel like going, like, why are we sitting here still like talking about this with each other when we could be out doing something instead? Like, why are we, why, why are we still centering ourselves? I don't know. It's, that's probably not the right thing to say because that's what a group therapy session is for is to like be able to center yourself and like, you know, it's obviously I still have my own shit to work through. Um, I need to get back into therapy for sure, but I just, I don't know, like my whole thing is kind of just like, yeah, I, I went through the shit. I went through some fucking trauma. Like I understand. Um, how can I now with the time that I now have, I'll be 30 in May, you know? So like my twenties got fucking stolen absolutely from me. So now what can I do to make sure that other people who are currently being traumatized get the help that they need. What can I do with this experience, with this knowledge and understanding and like, you know, viewpoint, what can I do that will make the biggest impact and help the most people and make the most people happy? Like making people happy is a valuable, valuable, valuable thing. How can I do that in a way that will uplift the most people forward the message that will make change? Like how can I use all this shit to help. Honestly, B, I think you just being vulnerable and transparent and opening up about this, which um, I'm sure isn't like the most easiest thing to talk about. I think that um, alone in itself is something great that you're doing for people who are in this right now, who are not aware, who um, who don't know that there are other people that have the same thoughts that it's wrong that want to leave. So I think, um, just even being open and talking about it, I think that you're, um, like providing some of the biggest help for sure. Yeah. I I mean, I really appreciate that. And I try, that is why I'm, that is truly like the reason that I'm so open about it and like willing to talk about it is because, you know, if it helps somebody who is stuck in a high control religion or stuck in an abusive situation where they feel like they can't leave or they can't get out because, you know, their job needs them, their religion needs them, their husband needs them, you know, whatever it is, um, there is life after leaving. Shit gets so much better. 
like I was so scared. I was terrified. I literally like my whole life grew up just absolutely afraid of the outside world, afraid of like having to get a job, having to support myself, um, terrified that I would just not make it. And then I left and I'm thriving. I'm like, I am the happiest I have ever, 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 ever been. And, you know, it shows just from you talking about it. And I think everyone can see that with your passions and um, like all the effort that you put into your your candy and the tutorials that you do for everyone. Um, what what advice do you have for people that are wanting to leave these controlling situations or relationships? God, I mean, my advice is don't do it the way that I did it. I, I literally met a stranger on the internet and within a week got on a plane to his house. Don't do that. It's a really bad idea. Um, <laughs> but do some research, like secretly, secretly do some research, um, reach out to people online, reach out to like every, pretty much any, um, group that's like that has survivors. There's ex-Scientologists, there's ex-Mormons, there's ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, there's people who were formerly um, Hasidic Jews, there's people who have survived abusive relationships, there's people who have survived MLMs, who are former like MLM people who like now help, you know, others get out. There's whatever the group is, whatever the situation is, there is somebody else who's lived through it before, try to find them, try to reach out to them. Um every situation is going to be different. Every situation is going to have logistical specifics to it. Finding somebody else who has gone through what you have gone through, who can offer some like insight to what you're going through is invaluable. And like, I am really, really, really happy that I found the group of people that I found after leaving. Even if I'm not good at group therapy, I'm still really glad that I found them because it is reassurance that I'm not crazy, um, at least in that, not in that sense. Um, it's reassurance that like, I'm not the only one feeling these things. It is okay to have doubts. It is okay to independently fact check and like look into things yourself. Um, you know, and like really, I had to really make a decision about what I was and wasn't personally willing to go through anymore even though I thought that by leaving, I was damning myself to hell, essentially. Um, I thought that I was like really, truly closing the doors on my spiritual salvation. I knew that I was never going to be able to see my family again. I knew that I was never going to talk to my husband again. Um, I knew that all of the friends that I had made in my like 20 years in Scientology, basically growing up, were never going to talk to me again. Um, and I had to weigh all of that against how unhappy I was. And at that, you know, when the scales tipped and I was still like, nope, even with all this stuff, like I am still unhappy enough that I am willing to give all of that up. That was what tipped the scales for me. I have a very extreme case. I am a very extreme case. And I think a lot of people are in hopefully less extreme cases and less extreme situations than I was. Um, where a slightly less drastic exit could be like viable, but yeah, like uh, the internet, Reddit fucking absolutely saved me. You know, I, I feel like after listening to you, like tell your story, like I just feel so inspired and it's, 
what I got from this is that you really do have to love yourself first in order to, to be happy. And um, with making such big choices, like not seeing your family again, you know, thinking that you're, you're damned, um, you know, leaving the church, like those are things that aren't easy, that aren't easy to, to deal with. It's definitely like a big mindfuck, but you know, here you are three years later, like going at it and like alive and well. And I think that eventually, like you just have to get up and do it. Yeah, that that is really what it comes down to. It's everybody's going to have a different breaking point. Everybody's going to have a different tipping point. Um, That's what it was for me. But yeah, it's, and again, just coming like background to candy, that is why I'm so passionate about creating a safe space for people, um, a safe space for kids, a space, safe space for ravers, like really just everybody um, who needs a safe space. A lot of the people I've noticed, like a lot of the people who follow me and interact on TikTok, particularly just because I'm the most active on there, tend to be people who are queer, people who are neurodivergent, people who maybe don't have like a lot of friends right now or, or a good family life or a good home life, just different things that they have said and being able to create a space that is online. And then hopefully someday bringing that into the real world. That is that safe space, that escape, that piece of happiness and like, you know, something solid that people can just like do and have that uplifts them is really important to me. You know, even though it's, candy it's little plastic beads it it also is a much larger um symbolic thing nope i girl i mean b i feel you that's why i started this podcast because i it's it's so magical and to switch gears a little bit can you showcase one of your best candies ever that you've either received or made? Absolutely. Okay. So, um, well, okay. So I have a couple, first of all, I'm wearing one of them. Um, this hoodie. Oh my God. That is so freaking dope. I love the chains. It's a candy hoodie and let me see here. It lights up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, see, little rainbow on the inside. Um, so I modified the hoodie myself and added the candy to it. Um, I'm really super happy with how it came out. It is definitely like one of my favorite things that I've made. This guy is another favorite that I've made of like traditional candy. It's um, the cutest little penis plush. <laughs> is that what that's called? I mean, it's a little dick. That's definitely a, a tiny, like, stuffed animal, but it's um, a penis. And oh my god, so cute! It's a triple rotator cuff. So this thing in the middle spins, and then the entire middle also spins. How did you do that? That's insane. Um, yeah, it's big. I had been making rotators for a while, and then I was like, "Shit, I should make a triple rotator." I actually made a different one um, and sent it to Cena for our Christmas like secret Santa per package candy kit exchange. And then I made that one because I had the little like stuffed animal and I was like, mm, what should I put this on? <laughs> I love that. Is that little penis? Is that um like a character? Because I've never heard of it. No, it's just it. 
oh, my Facebook ads are really fucking weird. And so I kept getting Facebook ads for tiny little like penis plushes. And I was like, fuck it, I guess. Sure, Zuck, you in this one. Let's let's get a little stuffed penis. <laughs> I love that. I was like, is this like a new Sanrio character that I don't know oh of? God, it totally does look like a Sanrio character. No, it's just an adorable little like stuffed penis. I'd, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was like Pusheen's friend or something. <laughs> <laughs> this little bald penis. That would be so fucking funny. Um, and then I'll show you. Let's see. By the way, we have the same freaking chair. Really? Yes. Oh, it's so comfy. It's such a good chair. That was like my first big purchase after I started um, like making any money selling candy. It was like, I need a better fucking office chair. Oh, it's worth it. 100%. Um, so then this bad boy was traded to me. I did not make this one. Um, this one was made by The Real Javin on Instagram. I really hope I said his name right because he's great. Um, and I got this in the Candy Kid Secret Santa. This like particular style of cuff is called the Rage Cage. I have not attempted it. It's so fucking cool looking, but I know that it would take me 10,000 years um, and like a gazillion beads. So instead it gets to live on my wall. Oh my gosh. So is that a special type of like stitch, I guess, or a technique? The uh, yeah, um, so it looks like you saw it kind of looks like a Ferris wheel or like one of those old wooden roller coasters. And so that particular technique, like that builds it out in that way. Um, I, f I forget who it was on Instagram, but if you search rage cage, you'll find it. Uh, somebody on Instagram like made that up and a bunch of candy kids have been like trying it out. It's, it's super fucking cool. It's very intricate. I just I like it. haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's freaking awesome. I this is why I love talking to candy kids too because I I learn so much and there's like like an art form to it for sure. And um, your uh, your hoodie, um, I forgot to mention, you make clothes or like customized clothing. Yeah, I do. I started customizing clothing um, more definitely more recently. I got really into bleach painting. Um, I'm in the middle of working on this shirt. This jacket right now um cute with little like perler patches oh that's adorable yeah oh my gosh um, I can I can see like oh yeah. it reminds me of like those punk jackets that like yeah. people would wear except for exactly. it's a candy battle jacket um so yeah I like every once in a while I'll go to a thrift store buy a bunch of like plain hoodies and jackets and stuff and just like start customizing um adding like chains and bleach painting and patches and and just whatever I just I mean fucking nobody's bought any of it yet which is totally fine I just enjoy making it and like maybe someday someone will buy it and give it a new home but like until then I'll just fucking keep making it yeah no it's awesome god what do you not do you're so talented and creative <laughs> If it helps, I cannot sing. I'm flat. <laughs> Watch, you're like the best singer ever. I know, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> oh my God, that that's incredible. That That is so cool. Um, B, like this was amazing. Uh, go ahead and drop where people can find you. Um, so my socials are all at mood.candy. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm on, I'm, I mean, technically I'm on Twitter, but only because I grabbed the handle before somebody else could. I just like, I don't actually post on Twitter. It's very scary. And like, 
I hear, I hear the EDM Twitter is a scary place. So I stay away, but, um, I'm super active on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. My YouTube is mood candy. I post right now. I'm posting, um, one tutorial a month on the last Saturday of the month. And I'm trying to like up that, um, I have a Patreon where you can see like behind the scenes stuff and also subscribe to get like monthly plur packages. Um, what else do I have? I don't know. I have a bunch of links in my link tree. I have a whole bunch of promo codes. Promo code mood candy gets you a bunch of like discounts on various things. I'll just, I'll just drop my link tree. We'll yeah. And I'll, I'll link them down um, in the uh, description section as well. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds so awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I'm like really glad that I got to be on the podcast. I remember Sina was on the podcast before and she was like raving about how much fun it was. And I was like, okay, I gotta like, I have to remember to reach out. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Thank you for doing this. I this was a phenomenal phenomenal episode and I think people are just if they don't love you already, they're going to love you now. Well, thank you so much. I I hope that people enjoy the episode for sure. It got definitely got a little darker than anticipated, but I am so happy to be here. Absolutely. And you know what? That's why this podcast is awesome because um we just try to keep it real and sometimes like you said it's not all players. So, thank you for that. Absolutely. Oh my god. That was seriously such a phenomenal episode, you guys. I did not know it would be that deep or that insane or shocking or inspiring. Um, I just feel so many emotions after that episode. But I hope you guys enjoyed. If you guys are a real one and are making it this far to the end, leave me um, three rainbow emojis. So that way I know you're a real one because you the real MVP. For raver advice submissions, um, shoot me a DM. It can be about anything, whether it be about raving, relationships, any simple questions, dilemmas, whatever. Raver advice is open. So yeah, if you guys haven't done so yet, please subscribe, like this video, follow on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you have time. That would greatly help out the podcast. Anyways, I hope you guys have a wonderful and safe week. Love you guys so much. Thank you for all your support. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up.